Welcome back to a Sunday session of Range Anxiety, 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes or thereabouts. It's a Sunday afternoon, so I'm pretty relaxed. And uh, that was the theme from Hawaii Five-O. What a great show performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Geez, I miss Hawaii. Thanks to bloody COVID. Had me number to go there. It's one of my favorite places on the way to or from the States. Have a bit of a quick climb up Diamond Head. Uh, enjoy a few cocktails on the beach. Mai Tais and whatever else you want to drink gallons of. And have a great time. But I'll be seeing you soon, Hawaii. That's for sure. Um, went for a long hike with my dog this morning in the hills. Uh, and this is a lead-in. I'm, I'm not that interested. You know, I'm sure you're not that interested in hearing about me walking my dog. But I got some feedback uh, during the week from Tony Ambrosio, Uncle Tone, as he's colloquially known. He's a Victorian, and we won't hold that against him. And he said, Martin, I'm sick of you uh, rabbiting on about Teslas and being such a boring, doomy, gloomy, end-of-the-world type of person. So I took that on board, uh, said, stuff you, Tone, and away we go again today. So when I was walking in the hills, I was thinking about what has happened this uh, last week pretty much around Australia, but in South Australia mainly. You see, it's tarmac rally season again. For those of my American listeners that don't understand tarmac rallying, tarmac rallying is basically uh, get a highly modified four-wheel drive or, or classic car within some fairly lax, semi-stringent rules, uh, get it to weigh about eleven or 1,200 kilograms, put 600 horsepower into it, uh, put some semi-slicks on it and fire it up mountain roads between the trees. Sounds like a recipe for disaster, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it's something Australians, particularly South Australians, uh, are strangely addicted to um, because we live in, in quite a little hilly mountainous uh, road environment. We've got some fantastic roads here and all of the local yokels that grow up you know, in and amongst the hills have a really good grounding in how to drive cars quickly on these roads. These are closed roads when tarmac rallying is on. And because I'm a South Australian too, over the years, I've had a lot of uh, background in tarmac rallying and tuning cars for it, helping prepare cars for it, understanding how it works and understanding, you know, how to get the best out of a car to last through your conventional tarmac rally. In fact, we probably have the best tarmac rally in the world is in Australia, which is Target Tasmania. Probably the best roads anywhere in the world. Not that I would know. I'm just taking that on board from people that have been all around the world racing and on closed roads. And do assure me that Tasmania is probably the very best of the best. So, yeah, it's a big Aussie thing. I don't know how popular it is in the States. Maybe Americans are a little bit more sensible than us. But as a motorsport, it's pretty plainly stupid. Um, it's super cool because it's really the last of the gladiator motorsports where it's semi, semi run what you brung with a huge number of makes, diverse field of cars, and you are, you know, firing them up roads that are never meant to be driven on this quickly. And as such, it's extremely, or it can be extremely dangerous. And I sit here and say this, normally I'm not such a sook about these things, but, you know, two of my... Good friends, friends that have been on these Epicasts before. You know, one of them ended up in, I'm not going to mention names, and look, he goes in Evo now thinking that he's still in the rally. He wasn't even in the rally, but he's trying to relive it. 
Um, one of them ended up in hospital uh, in a tree and one of them ended up on his roof. This is what happens. You know, you can't sook about that with tarmac rallying. It's what happens. Um, normally, tarmac rallying is dominated by middle-aged or semi-middle-aged men. Um, you know, pasty old bold bastards like me. Uh, reason being is it's bloody expensive to build a car and then run a car and and it's not quite serious enough to be like a circuit racing series where you've got to front at every event and you've got to go through the motions for a national championship or anything or even a state championship. There's one or two big events a year that you can do if you're a South Aussie or in any state and that's what happens. These guys just go and do them and you know prepare their cars all year and they do it. It's like a Viking sport. They do it for bragging rights. Most of them don't understand that it can be particularly dangerous. In fact, out of all of the people that I deal with and tune cars, there is not one of them that's a South Australian that hasn't had a serious tarmac rally accident. And you say, well, why is it so dangerous? I mean, the roads aren't that dangerous and the speeds aren't super high. You know, they have speed zones and controls on the big straights where you've got just, it's like a virtual safety car. It's a virtual speed zone where you've got a transponder on your roof and you have to slow down, you know, to a, I don't know, 80 or 100 or 150 or 200 kilometres an hour um, to go through this thing to keep the average speed of the stage down, which is what Motorsport Australia need. I'm not, it's been that long since I've actually been on one of these courses and it does differ uh, from state to state. I'm not actually sure what the speeds were at, you know, Rally Adelaide or Classic Adelaide or Shannon's Classic Rally Adelaide or whatever the bloody hell it's called. What I do know is that the thing that makes it dangerous, you know, the cars will see around 200, 220 maybe, I don't know, somewhere around there, 130, 140 mile an hour. What makes it dangerous compared to most conventional motorsports is the sheer variety of things that you have to hit. You see, when you're on a racetrack, a proper racetrack, let's take, for example, one of the greatest tracks in the world, one that's local to us, the Bend Motorsport Park. You have these things called sand traps, runoff areas in braking zones. You have catch fences should you get highly out of control and carry a lot of speed. There are fences you can hit. There are um, softish tyre barriers. There's all sorts of things that are designed on every corner of these racetracks to actually minimise how far through the scenery you can go. Now, you see, that doesn't happen in Tarmac Rally. There's you, there's knee-high grass, and because it's Australia, there's a shed load of gum trees. Big, unforgiving eucalypts. So that when you do have a big moment, you're on a public road, you can trip over like the curb or the gutter. Here come some more temporary Australians on Ducatis. Listen to that. Pop, 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 pop. Mm, not a huge fan. Um, but when you do trip over in a tarmac rally, you're basically firing the car at high speed through the trees. And I don't care how good your harness device is, I don't care how good your seat is, and how good your harnesses are, if you're not lucky, and it all comes down to luck, right? That's a problem, it all comes down to luck. If you're not lucky, you're gonna get hurt. So what's the answer here? Oh, look, I really don't think there is any answer. I think we just gotta let tarmac rallying keep going and you know, understand that it is dangerous and you know, the gladiators that are firing these cars around have realised that most of them have to go back to work on Monday. So put your bloody heads in and slow down a bit. Everyone. You know, so many, you know, we, we're battling for a $5 trophy or a medal uh, and 
you're risking your life. But isn't that motorsport? And isn't isn't that one of the intoxicating reasons we do it? So how far back do I go with tarmac rallying? Well, I've done a couple of um, classic Adelaides, as they were called back then, as a you know in like the really old weak persons category. Uh, I think I've done it twice. I did it in a, a VX Club Sport single turbo LS1 5.7 manual six speed, and I also did it in a VESS twin turbo manual six speed. And yeah, we had a lot of fun. We got in a lot of trouble for speeding and, you know, doing all sorts of stupid things like that because when you're in old man's hopeless category, I think you're limited to like 140 k's an hour or something max speed. And it's probably a good idea because most of us were hopeless and can't drive. But it did give me um, an idea of the breadth and the depth of the sport and exactly, you know, how daunting it can be. In fact, one of the, because it was done in, in coming into summer months and when you're lined up at the start of a stage and there's, you know, 30 cars in line and you're all sitting there under trees closed in, I was more worried about bushfires than anything else. I was more worried about that than the track. I thought, well, if a fire rips through here, we're all jammed in like sardines, we're not going to get out alive. Yeah, interesting thought, but that was just an observation, I suppose. That's the sort of thing you do when you're old and weak. I'm sure none of the front runners um, would even think of that. You know, and the front runner in Adelaide at the moment is actually my financial advisor. I wonder why he can afford to go racing. Hmm, maybe I'm paying for it. Thanks, Benny boy. Anyway, you owe me an espresso martini. So, back to it. How did I get involved? Yeah, I drove a couple and I was weak. But before that, there was this young guy that came to me in about 98. I'm not sure of the dates. He will know. Some young dude, wet behind the ears, and he came in and he said, I want to take an R33 GDR in Target Tasmania, and I'm going to beat Steve, you know, Jim Richards. I'm going to keep up. I'm going to keep up with these guys right up the front. And Jim Richards, you know, he's an icon. For those that don't know him, Google him. In Australian motorsport, you know, he doesn't get any more legendary than um, Gentleman Jim, and you're a pack of arseholes. Um, GDR God, Tarmac Rally God, V8 Supercar God, whatever. If it's got four wheels, he's driven it, and he's even won NASCAR races. Well, he was cleaning up pretty big in Tarmac Rallying back in the day, in that era, um, with Porsche, I believe. And, you know, these were almost factory-delivered, you know, developed cars. He was backed, he was fast, he was well-known. Here comes some stupid kid from farm in Adelaide says, I'm going to take it to Jim. So I'm there, oh, yeah, whatever, mate. It sounds good to me. So he bought this car from an importer. It was just an R33 GDR, bog stock pretty much, with a catback exhaust on it, some stupid cannon-looking thing. He bought a couple of sets of tyres, a couple of sets of wheels, and he said, I'd like you to tune it. Well, back then, we couldn't tune the R33 computer. So I said, how about... Um, we put an Apex Power FC in it. So he's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So we put an Apex Power FC in it, and we took the front tail shaft, and we ran the thing up to about 200 kilowatts at the wheels on the dyno, or 210, I reckon it made. And, yeah, it was really, really good, and uh, gave this silly kid the car and said, uh, good luck, mate. <laughs> and I just decided to log in that weekend and watch uh, Target Tasmania. And goes for about four or five days or something. I forget how long it goes for. But, yeah, uh, he just kept climbing and climbing and climbing through the field. And I think it was just, it was almost, you know, one of those Cinderella moments. I reckon uh, 
the guy was just, the young fellow was on hot on the hills of Jim on the last day and he was going for it. He was in second place and he had a tyre failure. Now, I'm not even sure where that guy ended up. He, he, he just blew us away. We thought, who the hell is this kid? Where did he come from? And what's he been eating or smoking? Because whatever it is, we want some of that. And yeah, the legend was born there. That pimply-faced, wet-behind-the-ears kid uh, was none other than a, a chap that is now known as uh, Steve Glennie. In fact, he was known as Steve Glennie back then. But he, it was, I think it was his first serious event, save for a couple of hill climbs. I think, I think he did have the dubious honour of driving a, a VT LS1 Commodore around turn two of our local racetrack, Malala, and running it out of oil because of the shithouse sump design on those things and making it into a rattler. I'm not even sure his car that was. It might have even been his. But yeah, Steve, uh, the legend was born there and people started to come to me and go, wow, you tuned this GDR. Jeez, it was driven by an unknown. Wow, it was fast. And I'm like, so, you know, rather than saying, no, the actual driver is just a mental case talent, I said, uh, yeah, yeah, we did a good job of that, didn't we? <laughs> As you do. Um, but, yeah, look, Steve and I have continued to have a bit of a friendship over the years. Um, he has won Target Tasmania since then. Unfortunately, not in the car I touched. I probably cost him his last victory, which would have been in about 2014, with an old JDM R35 GDR. I mean, this guy's quick in anything, and it was a mild thing. It was a Spec V um, setup on the car, so VH, uh, VF34 IHI turbos. It was allowed to run E85 back then, a little upgraded clutch and pretty much standard apart from a full exhaust, and we won, no, we actually stuffed it on the first stage. The car went into limp mode on the side of the road, as they do due to clutch slip which we couldn't emulate. Um, Steve was quite clever technically, so I got him. He lost so much time. He lost minutes and minutes. All the while, the whites, who, who were the you know the nemesis, the guys to beat out in front in there, I think it was Gallardo, were just pulling away, Super Leggera or whatever it was, pulling away minutes and minutes into the lead. And there's Steve on the side of the road on the phone to me how do I fix this eventually we wound all the clutch capacity we could into it plus seven plus seven for those that know about GDRs and away he went and the next four days was probably the most breathtaking display of, of driving of just sheer give a shit I'm firing this thing up the road as fast as it will go driving that I've ever seen and yeah, it came down to merely seconds on the last day with the little GDR that could chasing down this this Lambo, which I think was running into a bit of technical trouble. Maybe it wasn't. I'll just I'll just juice it up because it sounds like a great story. But Steve nearly nearly slapped, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat there. And there wasn't a stage basically he didn't win apart from the one I screwed him over on with my clutch adjustments on the start. So I kind of, you know, whenever Steve rings me up and bosses me around and asks me about things, can you help here or can you help there, I kind of always say yes to him because I feel a bit sorry for actually robbing him of his second or maybe third, it would have been maybe second, um, Target Tasmania victory. So sorry about that, Steve. But we did have a victory um, with the Burns for Blinds team, car built by Steve Cramp, uh, looked after by... Simon, Richards, Rico, us, you know, everyone really. And, you know, they're a father and son combo. And 
really good, really good bunch of guys and a really nice R35 GDR. And we had this thing, I reckon it was 2000, it's a long time ago now, I reckon it was 2016. They were running in the lead. Uh, Jamie was driving it. He, he was doing a great job. And Dennis in the co-driver's chair calling the notes beautifully. Everything was going to plan. And then the engine developed a problem on the last day. What had, We didn't know at the time, but what had actually happened was that we were running the thing fairly hard, but it looked like there was a fault you know, the engine assembly or the manufacturer of the block. And what had happened is the pistons and everything were all right, but it had started to eat through the Nicosil or plasma-infused bore lining on the side of the block. And it actually started to eat in. The pistons started to eat into the aluminium block. And it started to slow down, smoke like a train, sound like a box of hammers when it was running. Now, these guys had an absolute commanding lead of minutes with only about... 20 competitive kilometres left and I heard at the time I was in Adelaide that the thing was basically on its last legs and I'm like oh no and they're saying we're out of oil what are we putting it what are we putting out I said whatever you've got in the service van start pouring trans oil into the motor and they did <laughs> that GDR oil the trans oil I was talking about they were running this engine on essentially what was a juiced up version of 7590 gear oil. They were pouring into this motor and it's smoking like a train. It was only do about 20, 30 k's an hour. And here comes the winner, the guy that just blasted past them from behind in his Audi TTRS and blasted past them. And, and no one else, they were that far in the lead, the both of them, that no one else is going to catch him. But unfortunately, yeah, I already had a little bit of an accident passing, I think, a slower car. I'm not going to rag on Matt because I don't actually know what happened. But I do know that he did um, a squashed bug impression and ended up on his lid with the steam train, chunka, 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 running on about four cylinders at this point, <laughs> coming up and passing him again and taking the lead. Now, on the last transport stage, non-competitive to get to the finish line, I believe they actually had their service vehicle, which was a GU Patrol 4.2, you know, run forever, slammed into the back of the GDR, pushing it along. And they didn't dare turn the engine off because they wouldn't be able to refire it. Well, they didn't think that probably wouldn't have been able to. So they had this thing idling and trying to rev it and keep it going, clunk, 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 smoke pouring out of it, and then... The rules are you've got to cross the finish line under your own steam. The patrol backed off and clunk, 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 clunk. The GDR limped across the line, smoke pissing out of every orifice on it, looking like a bushfire. It was probably, it was the most incredible finish I've seen since it was a 1977 Bathurst 1000 when I think Bobby Morris did the same thing in the, the Channel 7 Tirana. I may have that wrong, but I remember one, one of those old crap is smoking like a train on the last lap and coming in to win and and Jamie and Simsy in the Burns for Blinds car did exactly the same thing and just crossed the line rolled over and it shit itself stopped never to restart but I don't care how you take it a win's a win and they did it and that was the first time I'm, and the last time, to tell you the truth, I've ever been directly involved in a Targa Tasmania win. 
In fact, I think I've got Glennie and, and, and Sims back to front there. I reckon Glennie was going for the lead and nearly won again after them. I think it was 2014, Sims won, and 2016 or something, Glennie came second. But whatever it was, it was. Uh, those were two of... Those were two of the most special moments, you know, I could ever remember in tarmac rallying. You know, the guys, particularly Glennie, he'd send me data logs out of the car out of the Cobb Access Port Tuner at lunch breaks and say, Don, lift your game. And he'd have a GoPro on the MFD um, and send me the footage to show me what the knock light was doing and what the temperatures of the car were doing. And, you know, things I couldn't, some steering angle and stuff that I couldn't log directly off the Cobb itself. It's a factory ECU. Unlike Simsy, who had the Cyvex, we, we could do a lot more with it. But it, Glennie was, you know, we used to go back and forth with files during the event and do data logging during the event. It wasn't exactly uh, telemetry, but, you know, it was a bit of fun and it was really, really good. And I was so proud of these guys. And, you know, I started off saying, like, I don't like tarmac rallying and it's too dangerous. And, you know, Classic Adelaide is nothing compared to Target Tasmania. Those guys literally get, you know, half half a metre of air under them, particularly Glennie the psycho in some stages. I'd always remember when the car would come back from, from Tasmania, we'd get it on the hoist to check it over and exhaust, no matter how high you tucked it up, no matter how far you put it up out the way, it was always ground flat, all the under trays were gone. In fact, this GDR under trays were so expensive, we just cut patterns up out of aluminium sheet or aluminium sheet for my American listeners and just used to bash metal trays on it for like $10 a, a shot rather than 500 to a grand a shot for the original Nissan ones, you know, just stuff like that. Glennie was driving hard but and hard on the gear, but it was our job to build it. So A, that it didn't break and B, could finish the event and you're never going to win. You know, you're never going to win one of these events unless you are a crazy, unless you are fast and unless you are driving on the limit. So these days, in the 2020s, it's not as exciting for me. I, I don't get really involved much with tarmac rallying anymore. I tune a few cars. You know, there are better, better, younger guys that have come along. Better, in inverted quotes, that, you know, can do this and do that and promise this and promise that and we'll get you more power. You know, tarmac rallying's never really been about power. We have won events with minimal power. In fact, one of my mates in Young Guy, I'm going to mention you, stuff you, Jonesy, in Perth, just won Targa Southwest in a 2016 Nismo uh, R35 that I tuned, and I had it set up so that on map zero, default map, standard, map one, uh, upgraded, wet sort of condition power, and map two, full bore dry. And he came to me the other day, he goes, oh, I'm driving it now in Target, you know, Southwest or whatever it is. Oh, I think it, it feels like slow, a little bit like my roadie. And I said, what, send me the program. So I've had a look at the program. He sent it back to me out of the access port. You see, Cobbs are wonderful things for Tomate Rallying. Simsy, what map are you... Oh, Simsy, sorry, Matt and Dennis. Jonesy, what map have you got this bloody thing on? What do you mean, what map? He had it on stock. I said, mate, put it up here while we're dying at it and tune it. Well, I didn't know that. What he did now, and you know what he did? Young gun, not bald old man. Young gun just went out there, kicked ass, smashed everyone, and took the victory. So that was my last victory. It was only last weekend. So good on you, Jamesy. Um, but yeah, look, I, I look forward to tuning a lot more Tarmac Rally cars in the future. Sorry if that sounded a little bit doom and gloom at the start, but bloody great memories and great fun out of Tarmac Rallying. So Uncle Tone, you can put your bloody head in. Don't say I'm negative. I, I started out that way this Epicast, but we got really positive in the end. Um, to my mates that aren't feeling so well after 
<sighs> a couple of incidents this weekend, a bit, a bit sore in the body and a bit light in the wallet. You'll be right. Pull your heads in, get ready, swallow your pride and go again. Because that's what it's all about. Actually, no, it's not. Range anxiety is what it's all about. And thank you for listening.